Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Again, as we uh, continue in our uh, series within a series, our, our Ten Commandments within uh, our, our sermon series in the book of Exodus. Uh, we come this morning to uh, the Eighth Commandment. Uh, I will read as is our practice from verse 1 through uh, verse 15. Uh, if you're able... Uh, Please stand as we read God's word together. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath To the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Uh, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, for your help. Uh, Would you use this, your word, to conform us more and more into the image of Christ? For we ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. And let me remind you, um, you don't want to put your Bibles away. You're going to need them. Um, If you've you've thought you've needed them in uh, past weeks, uh, just wait. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe this, I don't know if this works here or not. Some of you, I, I just have this feeling, um, that, that if I, if I needed uh, a show, don't show your hand, don't raise your hands, but I have this feeling that some of you could, um, pull out your phone and, and open an app and see what's happening in your house. I have this sense that that we have these security cameras. We have Ring or Nest or Google whatever, the doorbell with the camera so you can see what's going on and make sure the UPS guy and the FedEx guy is actually delivering your mail. Apparently that's a thing now and not destroying it when they do. People aren't stealing your stuff. You've got cameras in your house so you can kind of see what your kids are doing. My, my sense is that there are at least some people that could op- open up an app on their phone and see what's happening in their house. Um, the reality is th- that is a, a, a rising industry. In fact, Nancy just not that long ago had a conversation with somebody in our neighborhood about their security cameras. And he goes, oh yeah, you mean this? And he starts showing, look, and here's what's happening in this room and here's outside and and, and then proceeded to say, you need them too. Um, and here's where you should put them on your house. Now, part of it is because we're the house that gets the view of the cars coming into the neighborhood. And the rest of the neighborhood wants us to have a security camera so they can see what's happening. So if, you know, 
Any of you strangers show up in my neighborhood and they don't want you there, then anyway. Um, But this home security business is a booming business. And it's, it's booming because, well, presumably because home break-ins are on the rise. You know, the reality is they don't actually need that to be true. They just need you to think that it's true. They don't need there to be statistical evidence that, that home break-ins are growing uh, at, and in, you know, exponentially. That, that more and more homes are being broken into every day today than they were 2 or 3 or 5 or 15 years ago. They don't need that to be true. All they need is for you to be afraid that it might be true. And since it might be true, and since it could possibly be true, and since you're afraid of that, they sell you a camera. So you can keep an eye on your stuff. You know, that actually speaks to the Eighth Commandment. That actually has something to say about our understanding of the Eighth Commandment. And like the Sixth, like the Seventh, it's reasonable to start with a question. How do we steal? What does it mean what are the ways that we rob or that we steal from others? And, and we have the, we know, right? This is where, again, we can laugh at the low bar. Okay, technically stealing would be if I broke into someone's house or car and took something that was theirs. See, that would be technically stealing. And since I've never done that, then boom, I can clear the bar. But Scripture is going to unpack a variety of ways that you and I just might be guilty of stealing. We might think uh, it a big deal to break a window in a car and stick your hand in and take something. But if you open an unlocked car and take their phone charger out, we kind of go, well, that's not really a big deal. If I walk past their garden and swipe a tomato, that's not really a big deal. And yet... That is taking things that doesn't that don't actually belong to you, which is sort of the technical, we might say, definition of stealing. But I want to show you what Scripture does with this commandment. First, turn to Exodus chapter 22. One way that we rob people is through sketchy business practices. Exodus 22, in verse 25. This one's easy because all you have to do is turn one piece of paper. If you lend money to any of my people uh, with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him. And you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. So you get this, this picture that sketchy business practices that looking for ways to make a quick buck to 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 steal to to um, to give too high an interest rate to somebody who's poor and needy. I mean, the very reason they've come to you to begin with is because they are in need. And then you turn around and say, yes, I'll be so generous as to loan you money, but it's going to cost you double by three o'clock this afternoon. It's. Sketchy business practices. 
preying on people who have already fallen on hard times. You know, by the way, this past week I learned in, in reading for this, I learned that John Calvin believed it was his job to set the interest rate in Geneva. Because it's a moral theological issue, not a political or economic one. Imagine the church taking over the Federal Reserve. I can't imagine anybody running on that particular platform. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 25. In Deuteronomy 25, we see a similar uh, law, a similar um, restraint against how we treat our fellow man as we conduct business. Deuteronomy 25, verse 13. You shall not have in your bag two kinds of weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and fair weight you shall have, a full and fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, I guess we don't really do a whole lot of business with weights and, and measures these days. You don't, you don't really do your business with scales and, and except in certain sort of settings. I guess if you go to the Fresh Market or that really cool spice store in Franklin, then they're going to give you stuff weighed out on a scale. And you know how this works, right? You put, you put a weight in one side of the balance and then you put the grain that you're buying in the other side of the balance. Well, you know, if you're, and I'm going to get it wrong saying it on the fly, but you know how if you're selling, you want a lightweight. If you're buying, you want a heavyweight. And so you are the other way around probably. But you, because then you want to, you know, make sure you get a little extra and say, oh, but this isn't 50 pounds. This is only 45 pounds. You see? So you have to give me some more. Carrying two kinds of weights around just so that we can squeeze a little bit more out of someone else for our own good, for our self-serving rather than for someone else's good. It's a reflection of a heart that, that looks at the self more than it does at other people. Or look at Leviticus chapter 19. Back up to Leviticus 19, uh, verse 13. Uh, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Okay, I guess most of us get paid, what, twice a month, every two weeks, once a month. However your pay scale is. Here, you, you hired workers, you sent them out, they did their work, and at the end of the day, they would walk up and you would pay them. And it says, don't hang on to them. They're worth their wages. Pay them what you owe them. But not just pay them what you owe them. Don't delay in doing so. Be so thoughtful about them and their needs that you will pay them right away. James actually picks up on this in chapter 5 and makes a similar application to employers hoarding the money that belongs to their hired workers. You think about all the ways that we steal from other people. We steal from our employers or our employees. And you see that in these passages. When, when you're at work and you're on the computer doing your Christmas shopping, you're getting paid to work but you're not actually producing the work you're supposed to be 
paying to be producing. They're paying you to Christmas shop. I learned just recently of a PCA pastor, a friend of mine, who's been rebuked by his presbytery for plagiarism, preaching someone else's sermons, claiming for his own work that someone else had done. When you cheat in school, you're robbing other people of their work. You're stealing grades from the teacher, from the school. For that matter, casinos and lottery are all built on the premise, on a premise that violates the Eighth Commandment. They prey on the poor and in order for one to win, a whole bunch of other people have to suffer and suffer badly. And so it seeks to gain your own wealth, your own possessions, garner things for yourself at the expense of of others, And that's the heart of this commandment. Incidentally, anytime you mention that, people come back with the stock market of, or, or mutual funds. You go, hold on, that's different because what they do, everybody does. If one wins, everybody wins. As opposed to if one wins, a whole bunch of other people had to lose. Believe it or not, we can actually, and I know... Perhaps some of us might even think it's our civic duty to do this. But we can actually rob from the government. When we withhold our taxes, when we refuse to pay what we should pay, Jesus commanded us to render, under, under, to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And in Romans 13, when you get this chapter on uh, the civil government uh, verse 6, Romans thirteen six says, Pay what you owe to whomever you owe it. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is due. We can even rob the civil magistrate. We can even rob God. Turn to Malachi 3. Now, we would have seen this. You know, we preached through Malachi five or six years ago, maybe. I don't know how long it's been. It's been a while. But in Malachi, you get this a series of sort of disputations of charges. Um, God puts charges the people with, but also puts words in their mouths where they say we're, we're charging this against God. Well, in Malachi chapter three, uh, verse eight, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But but you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a cursed curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe in the, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Withholding the tithe in Malachi's day is compared to actually robbing God. You're taking, you're holding on to that which should be given to someone else. See, that doesn't actually meet our technical definition of stealing, does it? Because that's not breaking into someone's house and taking their stuff. That's not, you know, breaking into the into, you know, our our church's secret cabinet. We have a vanishing cabinet. 
and put things in the vanishing cabinet and the elders get their stuff. And you don't know when or you don't know how. It's kind of cool. It's just like the vanishing cabinet in Harry Potter. But imagine, you know, it's not the same as breaking in here and taking stuff out. It's withholding that which should be given to God. God charges them with robbing him because they're not paying the tithe. Incidentally, this is why you'll hear us say your tithes and our offerings or his tithes and our offerings. There's a distinction. There's a difference there. But notice verse 10. Bring the full tithe. It sounds like they were giving God a tip rather than a tithe. 15% is good enough for a tip, so this will be 13. That's close enough. 10%, well, then I'll give him 8 because that's a nice, easy number. It sounds like they're giving God a tip rather than giving him the tithe. We think of stealing as merely taking what's not yours, but the Bible actually shows us that we steal anytime we hold something back that should belong to someone else. Incidentally, this has a, uh, it's always worth a comment um, when you're dealing with the Eighth Commandment because this is sort of woven into the fabric of 21st century uh, America. Um, implied in all of this is the Bible's teaching on private property. The Bible is not communist. It's not socialist. It's not everybody having everything in common. You can't steal if people don't have private property. There's no such thing as stealing if something doesn't belong to you or belong to someone else. And so we don't see forbidden Private property ownership. We don't ever see that ever condemned in Scripture. In Acts, when we're told they had all things in common, it doesn't mean that they lived in a commune and, and nobody actually owned stuff. Sorry, John Lennon. They merely sold the things that they had, that they did own, because they cared more about other people than they did about themselves. In other words, they were investing in the world to come rather than simply gathering up more toys for this life. There's a story uh, told, and I, I can't for the life of me now remember where I heard it or why I heard it. I had to do some digging because, I, as it turned out, I had the wrong guy. Um, uh, Chichi Rodriguez is a, a professional golfer. I, I don't know if he's still playing on the senior tour or not. He's probably not. He's older guy. Um, but he used to, he told the story uh, when he was 12 years old, growing up in Puerto Rico, um, of his dad finding somebody in their backyard trying to steal bananas. And Chi Chi's dad said, go get my machete. Chi Chi went and got the machete, brought it to his dad. And his dad cut the bananas, the bunch in half, gave them to the young man and said, next time you need something from my backyard, you come to my front door. It's a picture of, of caring more about the needs of others than the stuff that we have. 
The Bible assumes our right to private property. It assumes our right to a free market. But it also assumes that we're selfish sinners by nature. And so the Eighth Commandment condemns, forbids a variety of forms of ways that we might rob or steal. In fact, we have only begun to scratch the surface. We don't have time on a Sunday morning to examine all the possible ways that we could deal with this passage. But it also says you have the right to your private property. You have the right to your normal sort of Western American uh, private property laws. But what it does condemn is the selfishness and greed we normally find in American capitalism. And isn't that really where the Ten Commandments ultimately aim? They aim not so much at our hands and our feet. They aim at our Hearts. It's our desire for more stuff, for taking what belongs to someone else, for get-rich-quick schemes. They all say more about our guilt, greedy hearts than they do about even our hands and feet. The problem isn't so much that we take stuff. The problem is that we aren't satisfied with the stuff we have. We want more. We're discontent with the things that we have. Turn with me to... 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let me um, show you a couple of illustrations of this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse uh, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. The old adage, you've never seen an armored car in a funeral procession. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Would we be content with food and clothing? Well, I mean, in a bigger house. Well, and actually, I really need a new car. My golf clubs are kind of sketchy. I can't hit them, so it's got to be the club's fault. Um, right? I mean, you think of all the things we would add to that list. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But those who, verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people to ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Um, the commandments don't always forbid everything you think they might. The seventh commandment, believe it or not, doesn't forbid you noticing that someone else is attractive. Noticing beauty, to quote a wise man I heard one time say, God made pulchritude. Noticing beauty is not automatically a violation of the seventh commandment. Having stuff isn't a violation of the eighth commandment. 
It's how we approach our stuff. It's our love for our stuff. It's our love for more and more of it. It's the love of money. Money isn't the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You know, you think about it. There, you might have two kids or you may know two people who one of whom can't keep two nickels to rub together. As soon as they get a dime, they're spending it on something. As soon as they get any money in their pocket, it's out. The, it's, I mean, it's gone. You've got another one who won't part with it for nothing. You don't necessarily know which one's the greedy one and which one's not. You, you, the heart is harder to see than that. It's not necessarily that clear. You don't know which one is trusting in their money or their stuff more than the other. The heart is a little more difficult to diagnose than that. In fact, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Um, one of the most misused verses in all the Bible, even by the football coach at Clemson University. <laughs> Philippians 4.13 doesn't have anything to do with Deshaun Watson wearing number four, throwing the ball to Hunter Renfro wearing number 13 to win the national championship game. Philippians 4.13 doesn't have anything to do with tearing a phone book in half. I want you to notice the context. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. You see what he's saying? I've had nothing and I've had a lot. I've been through a variety of scenarios in my life and there have been times when I had absolutely nothing and I, I, was, I, got a lot, I learned. And, and when I had everything and I learned. <coughs> Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I now know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That isn't about winning a national championship football game. That's about learning how to be content regardless of your IRA. Regardless of the conditions of your car. The size of your house. The possessions that you have. Your bank account. Your whatever. It's learning how to be content with him and in him, regardless of your conditions around you. That's the eighth commandment. Speaking not to the hands and the feet, but speaking to the heart. Well, what, is, what does restoration look like? What does it look like for someone who's a violator of the eighth commandment? Someone, who, someone who's a thief. What does it look like for that thief to, to no longer be a thief? What does it look like for that, that, that person to be restored? Turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. You should just back up just a couple of pages. Ephesians 4 verse 28. 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. So instead of taking stuff from other people to gain your stuff, you work for it the way God intended for it. But that's not enough. Notice what comes. Let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Being restored as a thief looks like someone who now knows how to work and has enough that they can and will be generous with their stuff. Do you you see the heart change there? That's not just a change in what people do. That's a change in people and how people think about people. Not stuff. It's not the way we look at our stuff. It's the way we think about people. If I'm more important than anyone else in this world, then I have every right to take your stuff to make me happy. If you're more important to to me than I am to me, then my stuff matters not. I'll gladly share. I'll gladly give. I'll gladly give it up. Why? Because I'm not the one that matters. You are. When we learn to be aware of, to care for the needs of others, to be renewed in the whole man after the image of Christ, that's what sanctification looks like. That's what sanctification is. We become more and more like Jesus, who, by the way, gave Gave of himself. Born to die. Actually took on flesh so that he could actually bleed and die to save us from our sin. He was born in a manger so that he could actually accomplish our salvation. In 1 Corinthians 6, there's a a list of sins um, the, the passage is introduced. Um, you know, th- these are the people who won't inherit the kingdom of God. Um, and the list begins, neither, sex- neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, and, and, nor men who practice homosexuality. There's the seventh commandment. And, and it's funny how the church has decided which ones are the bad ones and which ones are the not as bad ones. Like, which ones are the really... Like, those sins, we got to put an end to those sins. You're right, we do. But these sins, well, I mean, you know, not really sure it's really that big a deal. You know what's next in the list? Nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, and it goes on. The very next sins mentioned in that list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. But I hope you remember what comes next. I hope you remember how the list ends. Do you you remember? Do you remember the phrase? Because this is the phrase we need. Such were some of you. Not such are. Such were. Why? Because Christ died for thieves. Actually, Christ died with thieves. One of whom was promised, today you will be with me in paradise. 
You say, oh, but I'm a thief. I don't have any hope at all. That one did. You have every hope in the world. Christ died for thieves. He, he died for people who were just that selfish. That same offer of the gospel is open to us also. If we look to him in faith, trust in him alone, and use the means of grace available to us to grow in our hating of our sin and loving Christ all the more. That's why we have this table. That's why he gave us this meal to remind us that he gave of himself because we're selfish. He gave of himself because we're stingy. He gave of himself because we steal. We rob. He cared about you because you care about you. He suffered and bled and died. Because we can't keep the law. So as we prepare to come to this table in just a few minutes. Come as people recognizing I am absolutely guilty. But my hope is in him and him alone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son to die for thieves, to die for lawbreakers, to even be counted among them, to die between two of them. Father, we pray that you would remind us also that there is hope of redemption. That there is hope of saying such were some of us. That 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 can be past tense. That there is healing. There is forgiveness. There is restoration in Christ. Because you do a work not just on our hands and feet. But in our hearts. And we pray that you would use this, your word. To conform us more and more into the image of Christ. For it's in his name that we ask it. Amen.